There we go. All right. Red means go. Red means go. All right. We are back and ready to start. I'm going to keep kicking this thing. Um, 16. Yes, we're good. All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to not start my story over, but I will say I struggled with which one to teach today. I was more excited about this one. And so we're going to talk about dreams today. And, and specifically, I want to talk about them because the last time I was here, I shared with you the, it was, it was somewhat foundational, but what I felt were the most, uh, most foundational and, and structurally significant spiritual topics that we have discussed here at the church. And so I talked about agape, I talked about the saints, uh, and, and the last one was dreams and visions. And um, I, I wanted to explore dreams a little bit more. I'm, I'm a dreamer. I love to dream. I love to sleep. But I think those two kind of have to go hand in hand anyway. And um, as I was praying about what the Lord wanted me to share this morning, I, I started to really think, my spirit started to get excited about the prospect of talking about dreams. Um, and, and specifically because I really believe that the Lord is going to be doing something unique this year that has to do with dreams. And, and it's something that I think we need to bring back into our acumen. And so we're going to talk about why we dream from a little bit more of a natural state. We're going to talk about um, dreams in the Bible, and, and we're going to talk about interpretation. And I think those three elements will help us to understand what it means for us to dream when we talk about the Spirit and, and what it means for us specifically this year. And I'm going to give you a, a call to action there at the end. But that's, that's what we're going to do this morning. And uh, as always, this is Sunday School. I invite you to share your thoughts, uh, your ideas. Please don't share your dreams because that could take a very long time. We're not going to interpret anybody's dreams today. Uh, but if you want to discuss it, I would love to because I love talking about this kind of thing. So we're going to start here at the top. Um, and I want to talk to you about why you dream. So in the natural, physically, things happen every single day, and you go through it, and your brain needs time to process those. So what it does is it collects all this information, and at the end of the day, when you are unconscious, it begins to sort and analyze all those events and decide what it wants to keep and what it wants to throw away. So long-term memory lives a lot in your dreams. I wrote down, the, it's the brain's opportunity to sort categorize, store, and rationalize the events of the day. We, we know a lot about dreaming, but we don't know a lot about dreams. And we don't know necessarily how they happen, why they happen. We know um, and can categorize through CAT scans and, and things like that where in the brain they occur, but we can't evaluate them. We can't look at them and, and see um, what they are. We cannot put a, a video screen on the side of a hospital bed and look into your dreams. We're not there yet, nor do I think we will ever be, like you see in the movies. And there are certain types of dreams that an individual can have based on what has happened to them that day. So you have heard of pizza dreams. Um, in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, he talks about a bit of undigested cheese. Because even back then they knew that, that your stomach, your uh, physiology affected your dreams. So for me, pizza dreams are when you eat something 
and it doesn't settle well with you, your dreams will be very strange that night, uh, or they will be unsettled that night. Um, or you may just wake up all, the, all throughout the night and you won't have any dreams. But pizza dreams are those dreams that are affected by your uh, physiology. There are dreams, I call them the I'm naked dreams, but uh, there are dreams that you have where you are in a very vulnerable state. Like I said, I call those the naked dreams. And those are really about your anxiety. I don't dream about me being uh, naked in front of people and, and then, oh no, you know, I got to find some pants. When I dream uh, and have anxiety dreams, it's mostly about, and I think I shared with this with you, I don't know my locker combination. I go to school, I'm in this large hallway, and, and it manifests itself such a way where uh, I go up to my locker and I just don't remember how to open my locker. Those are the anxiety dreams that I have, and that's when I, and that's how I've known when I wake up that I'm in an anxious state. And password. yours is a, you forget your password. What what do I type in this thing? Um, it's a good one. Yes, yes. And and I'm gonna I want to talk about nightmares too, even though I don't have it in my notes. Nightmares um, are really just dreams. The way that you apply emotions to them is what makes them. A nightmare and and the intensity of that nightmare or or that emotion is really what causes it to be either a dream or a nightmare at, at the end of the day one person's nightmare is just another person's tuesday so it really depends on your state of mind and what you're going through that will make it either categorize it as a dream or a nightmare when it comes to anxiety i think that's true for people anyway some people's um triggering anxious events are somebody else's you know, daily occurrence, and so they don't deal with it as much as maybe you do, and, and then that's why you can call it a nightmare or, or just a dream. Um, but these dreams, to me, are, are the most telling because they are the ones that really deal with your emotions, and, and I think it's important for us as Christians to identify that situation because it helps you at the end of the day, once you wake up, to recognize why are you anxious. I find that I tend to have those dreams right before I'm about to do a big presentation or um, I need to talk to somebody and I know the, the situation's gonna be difficult or the conversation's gonna be difficult. Um, those types of dreams happen to me sometimes too or they used to happen to me when I was traveling um, because I would be worried about missing my flight or something was gonna happen on my way there or being away from my family. So those types of dreams tend to reflect themselves with me whenever I know something big is going to happen. Um, then there are flying dreams. Has anybody ever flown in their dreams? Most people, hopefully. Levitating, flying, floating around, yeah. Those, I'm sorry? That's a different, but that's a good one. Um, if you continue going and flying around the cliff, yes. If you fall straight down, that's a different type of thing. But yeah, um, flying dreams tend to... They're different, different. Flying dreams tend to signify freedom. And usually when you're flying in your dreams, you have, you have reached a sense of um, sustainability, freedom, the ability to just move around. And, and those are some of my favorite dreams. I love to, if I'm able to lucid dream, I love to just say, hey, I'm going to go fly around and then I'll, I'll get out of there and do things. So I mentioned a word, and you, I'm sure you all know it, lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming is where you recognize that you are dreaming and you decide to either do something about it or, or just be a spectator inside of your own dream. Those are the ones that you can control based on your conscious will. Now, what tends to happen is that your sleep cycle 
uh, when you're in REM sleep, rapid eye movement, when you're in REM sleep, you, you dream, but you really don't know you're dreaming. It's not until the last 45 minutes to an hour of your sleep cycle that you will start to recognize your dreams, start to record consciously what's going on, and that's then when you wake up and you're able to say, I dreamt. So most people, I should say, everybody dreams, not everybody remembers their dreams. And you will find that you are more rested when you dream, or when you recognize that you dreamt, and the more awake you are, the more lucid your dreams will be until you eventually wake yourself up. So when you think about lucid dreaming, uh, you're going to get to a place where, you know, I can just change the action. You're still halfway awake, halfway asleep, and you get to a place where as you start changing more and more of the dream, you start to wake yourself more and more because your conscious is now going into your subconscious. They're fighting for dominance or control, and all of a sudden now you have control. And so you're not dreaming anymore. You're just daydreaming, even though you're in bed, you know, trying to sleep. So I had a dream a while back uh, where I, I, I recognized that I was in hell. And, and there was this big cave. Everything was fiery and red, and, and Satan was there uh, on some sort of rock formation type throne. And I recognized that I did not want to be there. And, and so I, I gritted my teeth, I, I clenched my hands, and, and I started to, and I, I closed my eyes in my, in, my, um, in my dream, but I was, obviously, my eyes were already closed. And uh, I started to imagine that, that I didn't want to be there anymore. And, and this was where lucid dreaming came in, and all of a sudden, uh, I recognized I'm not in hell, I'm in a dream about hell. So I, like I said, I closed my eyes, I, I clenched my hands, and I just, I wished for flowers, and I wanted flowers to be everywhere. I wanted to be on a green hillside. I just wanted it to be beautiful. And, and so as I did all this, all of a sudden, it started to change the landscape. And, uh, and then I recognized, oh, great, I'm out of here. And then I started to fly. But, but unfortunately, and fortunately, I guess, um, I was waking myself up because I was, I was very consciously not wanting to be in that environment anymore. And so I, uh, I started to fly. I wanted to go out and fly. And as I started to fly, I slowly started to wake up. And then I was out of my dream altogether. I have, I've also gotten to a place where um, I can just wake myself up. So if I recognize that I'm dreaming, uh, I'm not going to show it to you because it's kind of embarrassing. But I, I spin in a circle. And then I, I stop mid-circle. And I put my hands out. And I fall towards like a push-up position. And I find that right before I hit the push-up, I will wake up. So I've, I've learned to wake myself up from a dream if I ever don't want to be in that particular situation. Now, it's hard to recognize that you're in a dream, but the ability is there for you to uh, overcome your subconscious with your conscious. And I tell you all this because in, in the natural, you have control over your mind. It is your mind. And, and your will that decides what you want to do with it. When you let go and, and put yourself in that dream state by falling asleep, your, your brain takes the opportunity to begin, and sort, to begin to sort the day, to begin to categorize, to begin a data dump of everything that's happened and gone away. What I've also found is um, the events of that day, if you dream about them, it usually means you're pretty well rested. If you are not, if you're dreaming about things that happened last week or the day before or a couple of days before, it usually means you're not resting 
well enough. You, your brain has to catch up to those events, and that's really when you start to feel rest. But like I said, I, I say all this because spiritually what happens is the Lord takes that opportunity to, I'm going to say infiltrate, but it's, it's probably not the right word to use here. But he takes that opportunity to, to infiltrate your, um, your consciousness, your subconscious, and, and inject into them his desires, his will, his purpose, in order to bypass any kind of uh, unbelief, any kind of, um, what's the right word here? Any, any kind of thing that would keep you from believing that you can do it or that it needs to happen. Um, so you're, you're, I wrote here, your unconscious mind has little to no control over what you see and is therefore more susceptible to the desires of the Lord. When, when you dream and you recognize that the Lord wants to talk to you in a dream, your mind is more willing to accept it because there is more emotion associated with your dreams. So the Lord will use your lack of control to either provide a message of warning, hope, desire, or direction. And we see this in Scripture. We're going to talk about Scriptures. Now, I'm not going to read all of these. I wanted to put them in here for your reference. Uh, we will talk about all of them, but we're going to probably glance over them a lot. I just want you to see where they are and what they mean as we talk through them. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And they immediately shut off. Yeah. And so I just want to make that point that I don't know if you found this in your research, but this is what I found is it's scientifically proven that everybody dreams like four or five times a night. Yes. You just don't remember. And so I just wanted to throw that out there because don't shut this out. I mean, if if you're, I mean, the Lord created us to dream. Yeah. I fully believe that. Absolutely. So. And that's a great point. And thank you for bringing it up. It's And I'm going to repeat it. For the microphone, it's true. Many people think that they don't dream. There's another myth that, that they dream in black and white. Um, and, and really what it is is you don't recognize that you're dreaming or, or you wake up either so abruptly or so out of rest that you think, well, that just didn't happen. Again, all through the night, you are dreaming. It's whether you remember that you dreamt or what you dreamt about that's really in question here. And a lot of people may not remember their dreams uh, but they did dream, and they may not even remember that they did dream. Because like I said earlier, it's within that last 45 minutes to an hour that you start to come out of uh, REM sleep and really start going into your wake cycle, and that's where you probably will remember your dreams. Uh, so those that, don't, that think, I don't dream, are really in that place where they're bypassing all of that and jumping right out of it. Uh, and even in the morning, if you were asking right then and there, what did you dream about? Uh, most likely they'll tell you, yeah, I did have a dream, and they could give you some fuzzy picture of what it was about, but five to ten minutes after that, it's gone. And, and this is true for everybody, right? How many times have you been, um, have you woken up from a dream, you know you dreamt, you know a little bit about what the dream uh, had to do with, but then five to ten minutes later, you're like, man, I, it was a dream, it was a great dream, I can't even remember it anymore. Because your, your conscious and your subconscious are separated in such a way where they really don't talk to each other very much. And it's not until you inject the subconscious, or I'm sorry, the conscious into the subconscious that you will start to remember those things. So spiritually, the Lord uses that to bypass both of those areas. And he's giving you 
many times messages um, about what needs to happen, desires, hope, and all that. But for clarity, not every dream is of the Lord. And, and I don't mean that every, some dreams are from Satan. What I mean is the Lord doesn't talk to you always every night in your dreams and you just don't remember it. There are very specific situations where the Lord has used dreams to share things with people. But obviously the Lord knows that some people don't want to, don't like to, don't even remember their dreams. And so it's a bad message system when you think about it. This really only works um, when you recognize that this dream was significant and, and then you begin to apply spiritual principles to the dream in order to be able to interpret. And we're going to see a couple situations of that here um, because the Lord speaks to unbelievers in dreams. You all know this, right? The Lord speaks to unbelievers in dreams, even though they don't believe um, in God or, or they may believe in a God, but don't necessarily subscribe to um, Yahweh as God. And so, like I said, we'll see that in Scripture. So when you think about the spirituality of your dreams, because of your susceptibility, dreams activate your emotions more strongly than when you are awake, providing credence and authority to the message. You are more apt to respond when you think about it to that message of the dream, despite you knowing this isn't real, right? It's not a real situation. Um, couples see this when the spouse will um, be angry at their spouse the next day because of something they dreamt about. This happens a lot with women, right? They, they dream that you, were, um, doing, you weren't doing something or you were doing something, and then they get mad at you the next day. It's a joke. I was just joking. Um, Kelly has those types of dreams, though, where she will be upset at me for something that I did in, in one of her dreams. And I'll tell her that wasn't me. It didn't happen. <laughs> Calm down. Um, that happens a lot. Dreams where I'm flying tend to give me empowerment. Um, I talked about dreams where, you know, I forget my locker combination. These, these spiritual dreams, the Lord can and will use them, but you have to open up your, like you were saying, you have to open up your heart and your mind and your spirit to what the Lord is trying to tell you. And, and this, this is true when you connect the spiritual and the natural, because the Lord can use dreams not just to expand his um, kingdom out into the world, but to expand his kingdom into you personally. When you think about the dreams that you're having, if you do find that you're having a lot of anxious dreams, have you stopped and taken a step back and, and said, why am I so anxious about that particular situation? It's an, it's an eye-opener when you say these, these dreams have a pattern, these dreams have a substance to them, that I need to start to recognize and, and really understand in order for me to be able to move forward as, as a son or a daughter of God. That's really what the Lord is trying to do. So sometimes it's not even about, hey, there's going to be some, some corn rising up and that corn's going to be consumed by other corn. You know, what am I saying about the kingdom? No, no, it's, it's really about what am I saying to you and what's going on in your life? Because once you can fix yourself, then you can go out and do God's business, right? So, so dreams don't always have to do with you doing something for the Lord out there in the world. Sometimes he just wants to fix you a little bit. And those, those anxious dreams or those dreams where you're flying are, are either um, a call to understand or an empowerment to go and move forward. 
And that, I think, is very important for the individual and for what God wants to do in our lives today and, and in this coming year. It's also going to be true once you get to that place where you're understanding your own psyche and your own dreams, then you're able to move forward and, and say, well, Lord, what else do you have for me? And that's really when you're moving forward with, with dreams that impact the nations. All right, I'm going to move on to our second section, dreams in scripture. Any questions or comments before we get there? Is everybody all good? All right. We're going to start at the beginning. There were, we, and I want to be clear about this. Um, I did not pull every scripture that has the word dreams in it, just, just so we're clear. So you're not going to see all the scriptures that, ha- that pertain to dreams. What I pulled here are every time someone had a dream, whether it had an interpretation or not, and mostly they did, but I pulled everybody who had a dream and what happened in that situation. I put the scripture reference there for you to look, um, but some of these are not scripture. In fact, most of these are not scriptures. They're synopsis of what happened in that scripture. There are a couple that are the scripture, and hopefully you can recognize those. Um, But for the most part, these are just what happened and where you can find it so you can read it for yourself. So in Genesis chapter 20, the, the first time that we see somebody dream like this is when Abraham and Sarah are, are going through Gerar and uh, Abimelech, the king, is known to be a ruthless guy. And, and Abraham knows that, hey, he's the king. Kings do whatever want, they want. It's good to be the king. And so he tells, um, he tells his wife, Sarah, I'm going to tell everybody that you're my sister because what could happen is you're so beautiful. They're going to fall in love with you. They're going to want to be with you. They're going to kill me to get to you, right? So he tells Abimelech, she's my sister. And, and then they move forward into, into the camp and stay uh, on the premises. Well, Abimelech does find Sarah to be beautiful. And so and she's 89 years old, but she's absolutely gorgeous, apparently. Abimelech takes her, and he says, you're going to be part of my harem. You're going to be one of my concubines. And so he takes her uh, into his, his castle, if you will. And um, they, they go to bed at night. And the Lord, the Lord wakes him up. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The Lord gives him a dream and tells him, you need to back off. She's not for you. And Abimelech wakes up from that. And he, he's mad at Abraham. And he said, you, you should have warned me. I didn't know that she was your wife. I wouldn't have done this if I had known. Yeah, right. But then he, he blesses him and he sends him on his way in a warning because of a dream. Now, Abimelech was not necessarily a believer. He was not someone who uh, subscribed to the, the passions of the Lord. He was just a person. So we know that God speaks in a dream to unbelievers. Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, um, Jacob's twin wanted to kill him. Jacob did a bunch of stuff that, that kind of made him mad. It's true, right? Uh, took the, uh, the blessing of the firstborn and all that good stuff. He started to really rise up into the kingdom. And, and so Jacob is on the run. He's on the lamb. He stops one night and he begins to dream. And his dream is of a great stairway stretching from earth to heaven with angels coming up and down this ladder. We know this to be Jacob's ladder. And at the top of the ladder is the Lord who promises Jacob will come home and there will be descendants of his and they will possess the land of Canaan. So as Jacob is, is out there in the wilderness, we see that God speaks to him in a dream about purpose, about communication, 
about what he wants to accomplish here on this earth. Genesis 31. Um, I don't know why I wrote, Jacob loves to the land. I don't know what that means. I'll have to revisit what I meant by that. Um, but Jacob is live, probably lives in the land uh, of his relative Laban. He marries Laban's daughters. Um, Laban is a tricky guy. He tries to deceive Jacob and, and do all these things, and, and Jacob recognizes that. Um, Jacob recognizes what's going on, and so he begins to amass wealth on his own. And at some point, God comes to Jacob in a dream, and, and the dream recaps everything that Laban's been doing to Jacob. But God shows Jacob that despite all of this, um, Jacob will succeed, that Jacob will be okay, and, and that God is on Jacob's side. But now it's time to go home. He needs to move on from what he's been doing because he's amassed the wealth that, he needs, that he's going to get, and he needs to move on. And very quickly right after, in, in chapter 24, what we see is Laban also has a dream. And in this dream, basically God says, leave him alone. Don't bless him. Don't curse him. Just leave him alone. You're done with this. I'm done with you. He's going to move on, and you're not going to do anything about it. And that's the, essentially those, those two dreams that happened between these two gentlemen. So it's interesting to see here in these dreams that God is speaking to them about his desire, his purpose, direction, where they need to go next. Uh, for Jacob, it's you've been here too long, you need to move forward. And for Laban, it's okay, stop messing with him, we're going to move on from here. Um, even though Laban, obviously, I, you could call him a believer, um, but, but really he was just someone that was out there for his own purpose, not really following the purpose of God. But even then, knew that this was from God. I need to stop and just continue going, doing what I need to do. Genesis chapter 37, um, Joseph. Man, the, Joseph was a dreamer. And Joseph really interacted with dreams uh, in the way that I truly feel everybody should be interacting with their own dreams and the dreams of others eventually. Um, but Joseph, you know, from a very young age, was dreaming dreams of empowerment, dreams of authority, and at some point in time had dreams where um, his brothers are gathering grains and Joseph's sheaves stand upright, but the brothers' bundles of grain bow down to Joseph's sheaf. We know we can interpret this as, well, well, his is standing up, everybody else is bowing down. So very easy to interpret that all these people are going to bow down to you, right? And, and they were not having it. The brothers did not like that at all. He has another dream. The sun, the moon, 11 stars bow down to him. This upsets them even more, and it starts the whole um, snowball role of them attempting to kill him and then eventually selling him off to slavery. Genesis chapter 37. Um, Joseph is dreaming these, dreaming these dreams and, and I find it interesting that he's dreaming this and then telling them about it. Like, why would you say anything? Just keep that to yourself. Uh, but no, he's sharing them with his brothers. Hey, eventually you guys are going to bow down to me because that's what the Lord wants. So obviously an avid dreamer, but obviously someone who couldn't keep his mouth shut and was sharing his dreams and letting people know this is what God wants at a very young and early age. And, and it starts this, like I said, this snowball's role of them trying to kill him. But you think about... 
if, if Joseph hadn't told his brothers about these dreams, you think about where if he had kept silent, said, you know what, some, one day, one day it's going to happen, and, and didn't activate his dreams. I think this is an important lesson for us because he, he didn't keep it to himself. He told them this is what's going to occur because the Lord has said so. Um, and if he hadn't, would all of these other things have happened? I think that's a big question that, that we need to think about um, because what had to happen is he had to go into slavery. He had to prove himself. And then he had to be able to continue listening to the, to the voice in the heart of God in order to be able to interpret the king's dreams and, and rise up in the ranks to a place where now he was second in command. And, and what did that bring to the nation of Israel? It saved them. It saved them from the famine. It saved them from destruction. Now, obviously, they, they ended up destroying themselves eventually as they, they went into um, Pharaoh and Moses and all that story. But when you think about Joseph himself and what he had to do, he was pushing the agenda of God through his dreams, understanding that these were from the Lord. And if he hadn't done those things, where would he be? I want to say today, he'd be dead today. But where would he have been then? That's, that's very important for us to recognize. So I say, you know, he could have kept his mouth shut, but the reality is he shouldn't have. When, when the Lord gives you a dream and you know it's of the Lord, um, it's not that you should share it to everybody and anybody who listens, but you do need to start activating in it and start doing what God has asked you to do within the confines of that dream uh, or the message of that dream. In Genesis chapter 40, we see some of this, right? Um, Jesus, Joseph finds himself in prison. He sees two other prisoners who have troubling dreams, the cupbearer and the baker. So the cupbearer has a dream about um, a grapevine with three branches. He harvests them, presses them into Pharaoh's cup, and the three branches represent three days between the dream and the cupbearer's restoration to Pharaoh's court. And so a very favorable dream. But the baker also has a dream, the next one, Genesis chapter 40, verse 16 through 19. And in his, he's got a basket of bread on his head. And the birds are coming down and they're picking at that bread. And, and Joseph interprets that and says, well, you're going to die. And the, and the birds are going to pick at your, your head. And he doesn't like it, but it happens. He gets brought back to the court and he gets beheaded. And, and then he's dead from there. So um, two dreams. I know, great dream, right? Two dreams. Um, Two people, there they are, both, when you think about it, unbelievers, people who don't necessarily um, believe in or love the Lord, love Yahweh. Genesis 41, Pharaoh has to have, starts to have disturbing dreams where he sees seven fat cows and they are consumed by scrawny ones. And then in another one, we talked about this a second ago, plump ears of grain are devoured by seven thin ones. And, and Joseph, in, in his interpretation, says, we're going to have seven great years and we're going to have seven bad years. And those seven bad years are going to be bad for everyone and we need, we need to start preparing. And so as he begins to talk to Pharaoh about these things, Pharaoh recognizes the impact he could have, recognizes his authority, recognizes that the voice of the Lord is speaking to him, and therefore promotes him to this place of positional authority, which is exactly where, what God wanted to do from the very beginning when Joseph was young. So Joseph essentially 
because he's doing the will of God, gets, to, gets promoted to the place where he needs to be and, and ends up saving Israel. Believers or not, they all believed in dreams, which is why they were always seeking someone to interpret dreams. Yes. I just find that fascinating. Yes. It's, it's when you really understand. Here's the thing about dreams. For some reason, they, are, they hit you very emotionally when, when they're strong. Some dreams you look at and they're like, okay, I, I, you know, I dreamt. It's fine. But when they're emotional, when there's an impact, um, you'll wake up out of that in either... The, the fever sweats, the, uh, the anticipation of something about to hit you or harm you. Um, you've probably been in a situation where you're dreaming and you wake up and, and your whole body reacts to it, right? I think this is what was happening to these guys. And, and they recognized that, like you said, not believers, but they, they understood the power and the impact of the dreams, which is why God wants to speak to us through them. Perspective. I mean, for the unbelievers. Sure, I, I I think there's an element of superstition involved with that, but but. Yeah, yeah. I I think I wonder too, though, uh, especially in those environments, people talk, and and for the baker and the cupbearer to share their dreams with Joseph, and for his interpretation to come true have to have heard. They probably talked amongst themselves. I wonder if the cupbearer was going around saying, yeah, I had this dream and this dude over here told me exactly what was going to happen. And sure enough. And, and guess what? You guys remember the baker where they cut off his head? This guy talked about it and pretty soon it spread everywhere, you know? So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And there's, a, there's definitely a level of superstition involved, but also impact and power. I think that's true today too. You know, people are still superstitious. They say they, they may not be spiritual, they may not believe, um, but even those who don't believe have a level of spirituality that they do believe in, whether it's ghosts or, or whether it's spirits or talking to the dead or something like that. People still believe, even scientists still believe in spiritual things. Um, Judges 7, this one we are going to read. And when Gideon was come up, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it, that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord God has delivered into your hand the host of Midian. So I, I want to reiterate what you just said, Stacey. The, the fact that these unbelievers, they're fighting against Israel. One guy has a dream, and he said, I saw this barley loaf bread. It was rolling down the hill. No, it's never. How do you know that? And, and so this, this tent gets blown away, and the guy's like, oh, that means they're going to win. <laughs> Why do you think that? It could have meant that, hey, we need to be a little bit more careful about our equipment. Maybe we don't leave our equipment laying around. So it, maybe, hey, yeah, maybe we're going to get it. so much food that it's going to roll our tents down. There's so many ways you could have interpreted that. So I agree. It's, it's fascinating that even here, this man understood this is a dream from the Lord. 
and this is how it's interpreted. And, and, and obviously God, I think, did it for the benefit of Gideon, for him to hear what was going on, for him to hear that interpretation from an unbeliever to say, I've got this, Gideon, you go off and do your thing because I'm going to support you and we're going to win this battle together. Um, I love that story. First Kings chapter 3, God comes to Solomon in a dream and he tells him, what do you want? And I can give you riches, I can give you uh, wives, I can give you everything. And Solomon chooses wisdom, which is wonderful. And then God says, well, because you chose wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else that I said you could have. Daniel chapter 2, another unbeliever, King Nebuchadnezzar, dreams of a giant statue made up of different materials, which represent different world kingdoms. It is then smashed by a stone, which represents the kingdom of God taking over. Daniel chapter 4, very similar, but this is more personal for Nebuchadnezzar. Old Nebi, a magnificent tree is cut down to a stump. The roots are left to go mad. And this dream represents Nebuchadnezzar's downfall and then eventual insanity. So a couple of situations where King Nebuchadnezzar is dreaming and they get interpreted for him by Daniel. Daniel then sees a dream where there's a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a ten-horned beast coming out of the sea. And the Son of Man is given dominion over these beasts or given dominion over human empires. We're going we're gonna to fly through a couple of these because I want to get to the end. Matthew 1, I wrote them there for you. Um, Joseph's message, he gets a message in a dream. The Magi get a warning. Joseph has another warning. Uh, he is then told to return to Nazareth. And then finally he says, go to Nazareth, but go a different way because Herod's son is still in power. So don't go through Judea. And, and so we see... Powerful, powerful dreams coming to Joseph um, by way of, of dreaming from the Lord in order to do and accomplish what he needs to accomplish. And then finally, and this one I want to read too. Matthew chapters 27, verse 19, when he was set down on the judgment seat, um, Pilate's wife sent unto him saying, have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. So another unbeliever had a dream, went to her husband and said, This, this is not right. I'm, I'm very anxious about what's going on. You need to stop this. Don't, don't have anything to do with this. And um, luckily, her husband listened to her and said, hey, maybe this isn't the right thing. But eventually, he washes his hands of it. And, and then the, uh, the rest of the Jewish society says, yeah, let's do it. Let's kill him. Um, I wonder if, if that was a dream given to her so that blame is a strong word, but that accountability, maybe, accountability for the death of Jesus could be very squarely put on the soldiers of the people who wanted that death. And not and, and you could never say, because of this, you could never say, well, it was a third party 
who killed Jesus. It was somebody else. Someone in authority is the one who actually did this because they asked for it. And he specifically said, I don't want to do it. And they, they specifically said, we want to do it. Uh, there's no question here. I wonder what would have happened if she hadn't had that dream or if she had the dream and didn't listen to it and, and, or he didn't listen to it and said, yeah, okay, well, this is, this is just and right. And, and from a court perspective, from a law perspective, it's being done because of, quote, unquote, justice. This is why we're doing this. I think it would have been a little bit of a different story and sentiment many, many, many years later when we look back at what happened because of that kingdom. So, so I think this dream was very important to what needed to happen from that perspective. All right, we've got a few minutes left, uh, and I want to talk about interpreting your dreams, and I want to make it very, very clear that you cannot interpret your dreams based on somebody else's understanding of A, dreams, or B, the Bible, or any other situation out there. These are your dreams. And I have seen books written where someone will tell you, well, here's, if you see this, this is what it means. And if you see this, this is what it means. And, and we have to be very careful as saints that um, we, we stay away from that. And here's why. When it comes to our understanding of Scripture, we are all on the same page. So I, I would feel very comfortable in this room, in this setting, if we were to talk about dreams, we would probably be able to spiritually interpret what that dream was. But it is because we all believe the same thing. We all understand, when I say the word colors, we understand what those colors mean because we've taught on it for so many, many years. Uh, we know that red is judgment and burning. We know that green is prophecy, life, and supply. When, we, when I say the word purple, you automatically start thinking about um, that truth and sonship, right? So, so I can say that very easily and very clearly, and you believe that. And when it comes to dreams and interpretation and even visions and interpretation, that's easy for us. What, what we couldn't do is go to a person who doesn't have that same understanding, and they say, well, I saw the color red, and for us immediately to jump to judgment and burning. Because for them, red might mean something completely different. It is their interpretation based on their worldview. And so that's why when we talk about this section here, I want you to be very careful um, to not subscribe um, specific things that, that are immutable, that cannot be changed because that's not necessarily true for everybody. Like I said, I, I would feel comfortable doing it in this setting. I, I don't think it's, I don't believe that it's true for any other setting. Now that being said, um, colors are very important in your dreams. And, and those colors have an assignment based on what you believe and, and how you interpret those colors. And, and for us and, and many in the Saints Network, we, like I said, we've taught on this for so long that, that we would be comfortable saying, well, here, if you see this color, yellow, it means wisdom. The Lord is subscribing some sort of wisdom application to that specific part of your dream. Uh, I would invite, and I don't have them here because uh, for those listening here or, or for you out there, I would invite you to uh, write down those colors and what they mean to you. And, and even though there's a spiritual application to color, um, based on what we've studied in the Bible, really look and evaluate in your life what it means from a color perspective because color is very important. Uh, we talk about judgment and burning, but, but um, Brother 
you said it earlier when you were talking about this microphone, red means go, right? Um, maybe red does mean go to you for some reason. We all think red means stop. We all believe red means stop because of lights and driving and all that. Uh, but that light right there is red, and it says live. So what is that interpretation? It means go. Be very careful and, and be very um, deliberate when you see a color in your dream to try to understand what that color really means for you. But one thing is the whole picture because, yeah, if you're analyzing a dream and you're just taking these principles to, to do your interpretation, I understand that. But, I mean, Joseph wasn't doing that. God just told him what the interpretation was, and that's what it was. Sure. To say you can't interpret someone's dream because they're in a different frame of life is not necessarily true. I mean, you have to do what God is directing you to do. I mean, yeah. You're really only going to have insight because God's giving it to you. Sure. I mean, so there is, that does kind of trump everything else. There, there is a certainly a level of maturity that I believe has to come from understanding what the Lord is saying to you. In, in other words, we see two guys. One says, I saw some bread rolling down a hill. Another guy says, oh, that's, that's God. God's going to kill us all, right? Very easy to say, where did you get that from? Um, so obviously that had to have come from the Lord. To your point, right? There was no, well, let me analyze the colors and well, it could mean this and let me pull out my worksheet and try to interpret it for you. It was very clearly, this is what the Lord is saying. I, I agree with you and definitely believe that that can, has happened, and, and will happen again in the future. What, what I'm more talking about is for people who are new to this, unsure of themselves, and, and not clear on what dreams really are, and hearing the voice of the Lord, which I think people struggle with sometimes, is how do they interpret dreams, and what are they really looking at? Because it's very, like I said, and, and this is really why I'm saying it. There are several hundred books written about dream interpretation, some from a spiritual aspect, uh, some from a, a carnal aspect, right, and what they mean. And uh, I, I was on a website, and I saw where someone was wrote down a bunch of colors and, and what those colors mean uh, in dreams. And, and I immediately dismissed it because they had words like ivory. It, it's, a, it's a dirty purity or something weird like that, or an unclean purity, I think it was, um, and, and I've never seen the color ivory, that I can remember ivory in my dreams, but I wouldn't necessarily interpret that color that way. And, and I don't think I've ever been in a dream where color has been so vivid outside of the seven major colors. Oh, like that's, that's a burgundy, right? That's, that's definitely a chartreuse that I'm seeing right there. It doesn't work that way for me. Maybe it does for others. So when it comes to interpreting, what I'm really trying to say is we have to be very careful that we don't say, if you see red, it means this, because it may not mean red for you. Now, to your point, if the Lord is saying, let me interpret your, let Stacy go and interpret that dream, and he tells you very clearly, here's what they're seeing, yeah, we have to, we have to believe that that Lord wants to do that. Um, if you're dabbling in this, what I'm saying is be very careful that you don't immediately subscribe things because of some pattern that you've learned before unless the Lord is really speaking to you and saying, this is exactly what that means. And we see that Lord can do that. Inspiration versus assumptions. Assumptions. Thank you. That's, that's a great way of saying it. Uh, another, another element to dreams is the locations or environments that we're in. Um, for, for me, it's, it's about the emotion of the location rather than the location and what it represents. Uh, I have had dreams where I'm in this youth room, 
and and things are happening back here and and I, I can interpret those things as it has to do with the youth group. I can interpret that as it has to do with um, the young or or the new in Christ. There's so many different ways that you can interpret that, but the but the point is that the way that I interpret being in the youth room is going to be different for for some of you. I I have never dreamt about my current house. Like I'm in my current house and I'm doing something. If I have dreams about my home, they actually happen in my forney house for some reason. And and if I ever dream about my former former house where I when I lived with my parents, that has a totally different connotation for me than just being at home. Now they they're all they were all my homes. They were all places where I lived and grew up. Uh, but they mean different things to me. And and that's what I mean by location and the environment and and what they mean for you. My house growing up for me means vulnerability. It it's it was where I was growing up. It was where I was being raised. And so whenever I dream about my parents' house, we'll call it that. When I whenever I dream about my my parents' house, it it means vulnerability for me. Whenever I dream about my quote unquote current house, even though it's my older house, it, it's more of a dream of stability and, and establishment. And I don't know why that is, but that's what I, when I wake up, that's what I understand it to be. Uh, in, in the same vein, school, whenever I dream about school, more than likely I'm having an anxious dream. Again, lockers. The, I don't know which classroom to go. And you've ever had those where you have maybe a sheet of paper. Obviously you can't read it because it says something different every time you read it. But you're reading and you're like, okay, which class do I go to? Which door do I go into? Whenever I have anxious dreams, a lot of times they take place at school, and I don't know why. Uh, maybe I was just very anxious growing up in school. Anxious could be very different for you, though. Maybe for you, being in your growing up home is a source of anxiety, and so that's how it will represent itself. Whenever I dream about the church, they are very spiritual dreams for me. They're very um, indicative of growth, of purpose. Of, of what the Lord is trying to do. Not that every time I dream of the church, is it a spiritual dream, but nine times out of 10, if I'm dreaming about the church, I feel like the Lord is trying to tell me something. So again, all this to say is what emotions does that location represent for you? And, and what emotion is that particular environment triggering? Sometimes you're not in a location like me when I was in, in that plane of hell um, I was I was anxious, I was scared, but at the same time, there was an, an overcoming to it because I was able to turn the landscape into flowers. So what emotion is that landscape triggering for you? Because being in hell wasn't necessarily a bad thing at the time in that dream. For me, it was about how do you overcome that, Fabian? How do you push forward and get to a place of freedom? And the emotions that I had after that dream was finished was one of empowerment, one of you can do this. Um, so locations are very important when you start to interpret your dreams. The, the Taco Bell, that's the pizza type dreams, right? <laughs> uh, perspective, uh, first person or third person. Sometimes you're doing the action. Sometimes you're watching yourself do the action. Uh, for me, whenever I am doing the action, I, I am more lucid in my dreaming. I am more aware of what's going on and I'm able to change the environment. When I'm watching myself do it, I'm, I tend to be more asleep. I tend to be less involved 
with what's going on and more just a spectator. But, but that's very important as you start to interpret your dreams because um, sometimes the Lord is showing you things that you need to do and, and it's from an outside perspective versus you actually going in there and doing it. And then finally, people. Who you see is not as important as what they represent to you. Um, and, and I'll give you an example from a dream I had. It's in this book. I, I have a dream journal, so I write down all the dreams, well, the dreams that I can remember. I haven't done it in a while, but I write down the dreams, uh, whether they're, I feel they're significant or not. So sometimes they're just a paragraph long, sometimes they're a couple of pages. This particular one was a couple of pages, and I just looked it up. It was from 2002, so 20 years ago I had this dream, and I still remember it. I was in the sanctuary on the left side uh, facing the stage in the back, and I looked out into... Uh, onto the stage and and up on the stage where where the big glass stain window is the the tall one uh, it was gone and it was just a a wood wall like a paneled wall and on it were all sorts of instruments trumpets and and um, pianos and violins and cellos all sorts of stuff and it wasn't pictures of instruments they were actual instruments that we had hung up on the wall. And, and in the center was this, this large cello or bass-looking thing. Uh, it was a stringed instrument, and um, not, not a bass like you see me play, but, but a bass that you see people with, you know, the, the, the string. And so it was up there in the center. It was probably nine feet tall, and, and all these other instruments were surrounding it. And, and as I, I walked towards the stage, and then I took a left, and immediately I was in a kitchen, a very industrial-looking kitchen. Everything was stainless steel, very clean. It was empty, like, like the day had just started. We were going to start putting stuff on there. And two people walked in, and I sat on one of the stainless steel counters, and I saw Pastor and Pastor Paul come into uh, the room, and they had this, this beautifully uh, covered book. It was, it was gold, and it was light blue, and um, they were opening it, and it was kind of glowing and shining. Um, and, and I understood it to be an almanac, an almanac of spiritual um, principles. And, and I knew that this was something that was going to come from the church. And, and then I woke up. And as I started to look into, because it felt very spiritual at the time, obviously I wrote it down, uh, when I started to look into really what it represented for me, I interpreted that, that instrument wall as God telling us that you are going to have uh, a wide breadth of worship coming through this house. You are going to uh, get to a place where worship is, is um, out there for people to see. And, and then the almanac represented all of the revelation that was going to come from this church. But, but I, I say it in context of people because um, pastor's here, right? We're, we're missing the other pastor not here. Uh, so it's not that the people represented something. It's that the, the authority represented something. And, and I took that to mean um, we as a congregation, as a church, as, a, as the head of a saint's network, we're going to bring forth revelation from this house that will become somewhat of a dictionary or an almanac for people to be able to reference and a guide. And that's exactly what has happened. When you think about the books that, that Brother Mark has written, that, that the stewards have written, right? Stacy, you've written. I mean, everybody here, when you think about 
what has been written, right? It has become a guide to the saints out there. Um, at, at the time, I don't think I w- could have interpreted it that way. I mean, and maybe I had an inkling of it. But 20 years later, wow, 20 years, 20 years later, seeing this dream written down, it, it, it reminds me of everything that God has accomplished and everything that God wants to accomplish in this house. So people are important, but what they represent is even more important. And what they represented was the authority of this house, which is, I think, what's come to pass. So it, it, is, it is easy to say that um, God wants to speak to you in your dreams. It is a little bit more difficult to say, well, what is he saying? And hopefully this is a guide to tell you these are the elements that you should be thinking about. And, and I'm with you, Stacey. I, I completely understand. When God says this is what it means, he can do that. He can say all these things. Be very careful that you don't subscribe things based on what you have heard or read somewhere else. Allow the Lord to speak to you, and he will help you interpret these dreams. And, and even for other people, help interpret them. Um, this is just, like you said, a guide on, on what the Lord may be doing. So with that, I know we're out of time. Questions, comments? Insightful observations. One of the things that I, you know, I, in just reflecting, um, you know, the Gideon, Gideon dream was pretty bizarre. It really was. But a lot of times what I'll do to try to help myself to learn is consider what's going on personally in, in our lives and then try to factor that in and the, the, the emotional tone and feeling that you get it you know because there's been dreams where all i've heard is words i haven't seen anything but i hear words and and you feel the impact and you know okay and even in the dream there's this there's this sensing of going hey this this is going on in your life so the lord he kind of gives you just enough to and with these guys i was looking back yeah you you think a, a cake of barley coming tumbling and it says it smote something and failed. So those are indicators, considering the context those guys were in. Yep. That hey, the Lord's given us this. And there, but there's some things in here you, we don't we don't see. Like it says, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream, what did he hear as he heard that in his in his mind in his spirit? So those things are we know what that all feels like. So so I think of okay, how does this? Where am I? Where am I at on a personal level? Where are we at as a church? Where are we at as a network? And just thinking in those terms, you mentioned it. I just wanted to kind of, kind of just re reemphasize the the feeling of the, of the tone of, of what you feel in that dream. Yeah, it's not all. It didn't happen all. One dream it, it uh, may happen one way. The next time it may be totally different because the Lord's teaching us different ways to interpret yeah and it can be very challenging <laughs> with some of them the content absolutely it's warfare oriented and it's blood guts and gore and uh so anyway yeah that's good brother <laughs> thank you that's good anybody else <laughs> all right well father we just thank you for dreams we thank you for speaking to us and through us and i pray that you will activate this spiritual concept within our lives Help us, Lord, to uh, hear you in our dreams and and to recognize the impact that you want to have through us. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.